Good morning, Christ Point. It's good to see you today. Thank you. Look at all these faces. Oh, hey, I want to welcome those who are watching online at home. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, my name is James. I have the great joy and privilege of being the pastor here at Christ Point Church. Uh, at this time, I want to let uh, you know, children, kindergarten through fifth grade, uh, you are dismissed. Uh, the kids will be back here uh, after the service, so you can follow uh, Jody and Wes in the back. Jody, why don't you wave? There's Jody. Wonderful. Uh, we exist at Christ Point Church to point people to Jesus. Uh, one of the ways that we do that is by experiencing authentic community. And so this morning I want to uh, share with you a few ways that we have uh, to connect with each other. We really believe that relationships uh, take time and intentionality. Uh, and so I want to let you know about a few opportunities that both our students and our adults uh, have to connect in the, the weeks ahead. Uh, starting with tonight, tonight our, uh, our, our ladies, our students will be meeting at uh, the Warren's house for a bonfire at 6.30. If you haven't yet signed up, you can uh, do so. You can let Amy know uh, that you are coming or let Phil know so they can uh, plan and prepare for you. Also want to let our men know that this coming up Wednesday, 6 o'clock in the morning, bright and early, uh, we are going to meet on uh, the piece of land that we are prayerfully uh, looking to purchase. You'll find out more about that in just a little bit, but it's right over my right shoulder. We're going to meet there and just pray uh, and spend some time together bright and early in the morning at six. And then on Saturday, uh, the uh, guys, uh, both students and adults, we're going to shoot each other with paintballs using slingshots. And so, <laughs> amen. That sounds like a great time. Uh, that will be from 1 in the afternoon until 5, and so if you haven't had an opportunity to sign up, please uh, do so. And then uh, certainly, uh, last but not least, want to let our ladies know that next month on the 5th and 6th, there is an IF gathering. If you're interested in finding out more information, it can be found in the CP News uh, that's sent out uh, during the week, or you can uh, talk to Heidi uh, here this morning, uh, and I'm sure she'll be able to uh, uh, fill in the details and give you more information. Uh, I mentioned just a moment ago, but after the service, we want to share with those uh, who would like to stay about an opportunity that we have as a church uh, to purchase six and a half acres. I know some of you uh, stayed last week and, and heard more about it. Uh, I know some of you this morning have other plans. Please know at the end of the service, uh, feel free to be dismissed. But for those who are interested in finding out more, uh, we want to encourage you to stay back for a little bit and hear about uh, this opportunity that God put uh, before us. We are in the middle of a series titled, That's a Great Question, answering the questions that Jesus asked. And I am excited this morning because as a church family, we have an opportunity uh, to hear uh, from one of our elders, Billy Gwaltney. Uh, Billy Gwaltney uh, loves his family, uh, loves the Lord, I don't think in that order, uh, loves global uh, missions and local missions, has a heart for what God is doing around the world, uh, and he has a love for the local church. And so we're excited this morning as God brings the word, or as Billy brings the word of God to us. Uh, I believe that God's going to use you big time, Billy. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Is this thing on? Everybody says that. Good morning. Glad to be here. 
um, let's pray and then we'll um, just kind of dive in. Father, um, pray for eyes to see and ears to hear uh, what you have from your word today. Let me decrease, you increase, um, and let us uh, receive what you have for us and respond accordingly uh, in favor in your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today, as James said, we're continuing our uh, series on questions that Jesus asked. And when James and I uh, were talking about uh, scheduling this date for me to preach, uh, he gave me a list of questions that Jesus asked in Scripture. And he said, pick one. And so I picked the one that when I read it, I knew right away that I needed to answer for myself. I don't know why I did that, but I did. Um, it's not an easy question for me to answer, um, and this may be the same for you. The question I'm going to tackle today is Jesus' question to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Um, our text today is going to be Mark chapter 35 through, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, if you want to locate it. If there's one proof I look to when I need reminding or reassurance that that Jesus has saved me, which I think I I need this a lot, um, it's a deep down and ongoing and consistent desire that that tends to burn or simmer inside of me for God to change me from the inside out. Uh, This isn't something I've always had. I mean, it's not natural to me. I I don't feel like it's in my nature to want to change for the fun of it. Um, I'm pretty messed up in certain areas. Um, and uh, like many others, perhaps, I have a good bit of junk up in my own head. Um, but as I mature and as I get older, I long for God to mold me into who he wants me to be. One of the ways that God, um, that I want God to do this through his spirit is to change me in this area of fear. Uh, I've got an incredibly long ways to go, uh, but he's brought me an incredibly long ways already. Uh, And for that, I'm grateful. Uh, Compared to where I used to be, I've come a long ways. And that's been God. This past September, I turned 51. And as we enter a new decade, I'm kind of enter. at least I feel like I'm entering kind of the next phase of my life in my 50s. Um, As it turns out, not too long ago, I also started my second decade as an independent entrepreneur. I started my company back in 2010. And this past decade has been pretty good. Uh, But as I spent some time in December kind of revisioning my direction and thinking about the path that I'm on, I had a couple of key notes or key things that I wrote down that were goals that that ultimately have turned into prayer requests. One is what I call the joy project. Um, I'm asking God to show me and teach me and allow me to experience joy with a capital J. I want what Tolkien calls joy beyond the walls of this world. That's what I want, joy from the true source of joy. Another one is for God to increase my faith to the point that I spend much less time being afraid of the future. In whatever way fear manifests itself, whether it's fear of illness or failure, uh, fear of what the world can do to me, or even fear of death um, or death of a loved one, uh, when I feel fear, I want to push through anyway. And this sounds to me like a worthy goal or at least a good prayer to be praying. And these may seem like small goals to some people, but they're big for me. Uh, And like any worthy goal, it's about the journey we go on to get there. I mean, it's not about me uh, reaching a point where I can go, okay, I have joy and I'm not afraid anymore, what's next? 
Um, it's about how I have to change in order to become someone who, spe- who experiences joy regardless of the circumstances, and also someone who doesn't shrink back when fear lurks. And by the way, as I mentioned or kind of alluded to, I'm not there yet, uh, but I feel good about the path that I, I can tell God is moving. Now, whether or not you or I set goals is not my ultimate point here. Uh, the point is that at the center of who I want to continue growing into uh, and becoming is requiring me to deal with my fear. And something tells me that I'm not alone in my need to have a heart-level reply to Jesus' question here. And speaking to you today on this topic is, is exciting for me to do and also challenging. Now, as many of you recognize, the Bible is inspired and, and contemporary human authors are not. Uh, but we can learn from the wisdom that God has given to some really smart people. And so today I wanted to acknowledge, uh, <coughs> excuse me, sorry about that. Uh, I wanted to acknowledge that um, I've been encouraged by the work of Daniel Aiken and John Bloom with Desiring God and also the late Ray Steadman. And I'm grateful that I can lean into their wisdom. So let's read our, our passage today, Mark uh, 4, chapter, excuse me, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And this is after a long day of Jesus ministering with his disciples. He's, he's, he's finished a long kind of uh, uh, group of parables. Um, and so it's the end of the day. On that day, when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, we're going to concentrate a good bit on verse 40. Why are you so afraid? I think it's important to kind of mention up front that, that who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his followers. Um, he was talking to his chosen followers. Now, Judas was in this group, we believe. Uh, he was later to betray Jesus, but that was not a, a surprise to Jesus. That was part of the plan. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. And so it, the key point here, or one point that I want to make, is that Jesus is talking to his followers. <clears throat> Conversely, I think we need to mention briefly who Jesus is not talking to. Um, if you're, First of all, if, if you're an unbeliever, Um, If you've never repented for your sins and asked Jesus to be your Savior, if you're still kind of figuring that out and and haven't made that commitment, I think it's safe to say that you should be very afraid. Um, I don't think Jesus is telling non-believers to not be afraid. And I don't don't mean that disrespectfully. Um, Hell, though, is a real place. Um, There's real torment, and and forever is like a really long time. That's not something that we should take lightly. So I would urge you, if you haven't accepted Jesus, to do that as soon as possible. Secondly, if you are a follower of Jesus and you're living in some form of consistent and persistent rebellion, you too should be afraid. 
Um, Maybe this is divine intervention drawing you back to safety and intimacy with Jesus. But Jesus is not giving a safety net and, and assurance to people that are running away from him that are his. C.S. Lewis calls, this, calls him the hound of heaven. If you're his and you're running away, he's going to get you. And so the key is be very afraid. So again today we're talking, we're focusing on this question that Jesus is asking to his followers in verse 40. Why are you so afraid? One thing that I noticed when I first started uh, getting ready for this, this talk was how timeless God's word is. <laughs> One of the pieces that I uh, listened to was a sermon that was on fear and a biblical response to fear that was recorded back in 1975. Now we're in 2021. 2020 was a, was a tough year for a lot of people myself included, we're just in strange times. Um, and as we sit here today, you know, there's probably some, some anxiety or perhaps fear, as Dan alluded to earlier, about a number of things, careers, family, what kind of world we're going to leave to our kids and grandkids, all those kind of things. And this piece that I was listening to in 1975 started out with the, with the speaker saying, I realize we all have significant fear of the future. And as we sit here today, there's a lot of anxiety and fear about the direction of our country, about the direction of the world, about what kind of world we're going to leave to our kids. And I remember thinking initially, like, 1975. I mean, what happened in 75? Now, you know, I I was six years old then. I, I think life was decent then. I'm sure there were some significant things that happened in 75. But when I sit around or, or when I've talked to, to friends this, about what's going on now, I don't remember anybody ever saying, well, at least it's not like 1975. And so that's just not something people say. Now, again, that doesn't mean that there weren't things that were going on then. But then it started me thinking, and this is where listening to Billy preach becomes interesting because I start thinking and I, I kind of go off on a tangent. Uh, and one of the things I started thinking was, okay, what if I'm 51 years old and I kind of visit other parts in history? Like I'm sitting in a church in February of 1942. Okay, Pearl Harbor just happened in December. I'm old enough to know that we came through this great world war somehow. And the Great Depression has been, you know, we we've we've made it through that, or at least starting to recover. And there's this demonic presence wreaking havoc in Europe and this demonic presence in the Pacific. And I'm probably sitting there going, I'm pretty sure this might be it. I don't see how we're going to get past this. I mean, the level of fear would be significant, I would think. And then I thought, okay, well, what if I'm sitting in a church in uh, North Carolina, perhaps, in the 1860s? And the Civil War is, is raging in our country, ripping our country apart. And as I do, I would have perhaps an uncle fighting for the North. So I have some uncles from up North. I'd have some uncles maybe fighting for the South. And they're literally trying to kill each other. And I'm probably sitting there going, not, sh- not seeing how we're getting through this. I just don't get it. There would be a lot of fear. Now this is just the short period of time in our relatively young country. 
I'm sure some of you world history buffs could say, oh, if you dropped yourself into a certain culture, a certain time period, a certain war or conflict um, at different times in, in, in history, you would be very afraid. I mean, it would, yeah, you would feel it. It would not feel like normal. And you would be wondering if you were going to live past it. And I say that to say that it became very clear to me that fear has always been lurking. It's always been a struggle for the human race to deal with fear. Ever since Adam ate that apple, we've been dealing with fear. And that's not to downplay what we're going through now. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that it's constant. And I'm saying that if we don't deal with our fear, something else is going to come around after this. I mean, there's always something, right? And so Jesus' words here are applicable regardless of the specifics of our situation. Now Jesus' question in Mark 4.40, why are you so afraid? This is a direct and it's a piercing question. I mean, the disciples knew Jesus, but for much of his ministry before the crucifixion, they didn't really know who he was. And this is obvious with their question in verse 41, right? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? But what precedes these comments? What was at the root of their fear and their lack of faith? Now this scene, starting in verse 35, has the makings of, of a significant drama. I picture like a Tom Hanks movie or something, where, where they're getting on the boat after a long day. <laughs> Jesus has been ministering to people, and he's tired. And it's safe to say he's wiped out. Now Jesus was God, but he was also fully human, right? And so that means if we were tired, if we would be tired, he would be tired too. So they start out on this boat after Jesus lays down. And I think it's safe to say that with Jesus being tired, that, that he just took care of his own business and left them to do what they needed to do, which is kind of run the boat. What's interesting is that the Sea of Galilee, the way it's laid out, how quickly the wind apparently can, can whip up from the terrain surrounding the, the lake. Storms can come up quickly and out of nowhere, and what starts out as a calm journey can turn south really quick. It can get rough, and within a short period of time, our text in Mark says, there was a great windstorm, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So they found themselves in the midst of this storm. The boat was filling up with water rapidly. Now, I'm not a boatsman, but I know enough to know that when a lot of water is coming onto a boat, that is not a good idea. That's not good. And so what's interesting here is that the disciples are experienced around a boat. These were fishermen. I mean, they were sailors. They knew what they were doing. So they did what any good sailor would do, right? They panicked. They freaked out. Now, I say that, and it's kind of joking, but I'm being, what this tells me that if, an, if I'm on a boat and the experienced guy is panicking, that's telling me that this is a big storm. This is not your garden variety storm. I think it's safe to say that this was probably bigger than anything they remembered seeing. They literally thought they were going to die. And so they come to Jesus, who according to Mark, was in the stern asleep on a cushion. Now, again, my mind starts wondering. And I go, what is it like to see Jesus sleeping on a cushion? I mean, was he, was he like curled up, all angelic, like heavenly with a halo and 
It's like, that's the God of the universe. That is so cool. Or was he, was he just laid out? I mean, did Jesus snore? Have you all ever wondered that? I mean, how human was he? Was he in bad shape? I mean, did he snore? I don't know. Anyway, um, verse 38 says that they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So they're literally accusing Jesus, the Savior of the world, of not caring. They're accusing him of indifference. Now from how I read this and other, other um, commentary I read, it's safe to say that the storm clouds were, storming, were, were forming before Jesus took a nap. So kind of like be, uh, figure maybe you've been on the beach late in the afternoon and you look over and you see some storms, some clouds, and you go, if that comes over here, it's, it's going to get, it's, it, it could be interesting. But in the meantime, it's sunny and everything's okay, so I'm going to go ahead, we're just going to hang out for a while. I think it's safe to say that Jesus knew, or at least the disciples thought Jesus should know, that a storm was on the way. So in the midst of this raging storm, Jesus checked out, and he had gone to sleep. And this bothered the disciples. They're not only concerned, they're upset. Have you ever been upset when someone does not fear something the way you think they should? I mean, you get a bad school report for one of your kids and you tell your spouse and they kind of shrug it off as no big deal. <laughs> it's not going to affect who they marry. It's not going to affect their job. It'll be okay. And you're like, I, I disagree. Or the government announces a pandemic and you, you're thinking there might be some bodies laying on the side of the road at some point. Um, and you look at your neighbor or your friend, your spouse, your colleague, and they could care less. And you have a problem with that. Or something that's happened with Anne-Marie and me pretty regularly, when you fly, Anne-Marie is a, a bit jittery on a plane. Turbulence makes her makes her nervous. And so obviously if you eventually want to leave the, the ground, there's going to be a little bit of movement, which means she's going to do like that. And inevitably, every single time, I look around and there's somebody reading a book and they've never looked up. They're completely clueless. Either they're really, really brave or they're an idiot. And so we wonder, we deal with these things. And so let's make it personal. Have you ever felt like God is like this. Have you ever poured out your heart to God, just given Him everything and there's nothing in reply? Crickets. You don't get a warm feeling, you get nothing. He doesn't seem to care, He seems indifferent. You cry out and there's no answer. And this was the trouble with the disciples. In this case, they have Jesus there in His physical body. So they do what I likely would have done in that situation. They wake Him up. And in waking him up, they also accuse him of not caring. Do you not care that we are perishing? So they had panicked. And when we panic, this is our attitude, right? When we panic, we say, do something. Do anything. Don't just sit there. And that's what they did. So what did Jesus do? He did something. Probably not what they were expecting him to do. And it's clear that this took them totally by surprise. They had panicked and woke him up. Jesus gets up and doesn't say a word to them directly. He goes directly to the wind and to the sea and speaks to them. Verse 39 says, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. 
just like that. It's safe to say that this astonished the disciples. I don't think they were expecting this. In response to the disciples accusing him of not caring, he gets up and instead of talking to them, rebukes the wind and muzzles the sea right away. I think it's important for a minute to think about what Jesus did when he calmed the sea, when he calmed the storm. Storms typically blow over on their own, eventually. So stopping the storm wasn't that big of a deal. Ray Steadman in his sermon about this particular passage has a quote that I want to read. It's really good. The miracle lies not in the stilling of the storm, for even nature would do that eventually. But in the suddenness with which it happened, all of a sudden the wind, which had been roaring and beating about their ears, stopped, and there was absolute stillness. And the waves, which had been dashing over the bow, filling the boat, threatening them, mounting up on every side, were suddenly stilled, as though a giant hand had pressed them down, and there was a great calm. This is what impressed the disciples. All the way across the lake to the other side and to the mountains on the east, the whole lake suddenly stilled. And they realized that this was indeed a supernatural stilling of the storm. See, we need to remember that we live in a fallen world. The Bible tells us very clearly that the world is in the grip of Satan. The whole world is in the grip of Satan and his agents or his demons, whatever you want to call them. And this includes the physical world as well. Behind the disasters we experience or hear about, earthquakes and famines, I always think about the 2004 tsunami that hit Indonesia. These are often the attack of Satan on humanity that God, for whatever reason, allows to happen. It appears that Jesus wasn't really rebuking the actual wind, but the one who stirred up the wind. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6.12, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. These powers and spirits can affect humanity in various ways, and it was this that Jesus rebuked. One clue to this is that the words that Jesus uses here are the exact same words that he used when he rebuked the demon that interrupted him in the synagogue at Capernaum back in the first chapter of Mark. So Jesus is addressing the unseen, invisible world here, and the result is that everything obeyed and there was complete calm. And then, and then he turns his attention to the disciples. Verse 40, he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, when Jesus is talking in Scripture, I tend to, I, I, I always just assume I'm somebody in the crowd. I'm thinking about who I am in the crowd. And so as I picture myself hearing Jesus answer this question, I'm, my first thought is that it's a bit insulting. A couple minutes earlier, we were literally hanging on for dear life while you took a nap. And then you get up, work a little magic, work a miracle, and then say, why are you so scared? The real question I have deep down is, why are you not scared? Who in their right mind would not be afraid? And yet Jesus directly, to the point, asked them, why are you afraid? And then in the very next sentence, he answers his own question with another question. Have you still no faith? So there's a newsflash. 
This is why we become afraid, because we lose faith. Faith is the answer to fear. And this is the first lesson we get from this situation or this this passage in Scripture. Faith is always the answer to our fears, regardless of what the fear is. So did the disciples have faith? Apparently not in this particular incident. They had forgotten what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount back in Matthew 6. In verse 30 he says, You are much more valuable than flowers and birds. God cares for them. Will he not much more care for you, O you of little faith? So their faith was absent. He was, here, here Jesus was with them in physical body in the boat. If they drowned, guess what? Jesus drowns too. And yet the disciples forgot who Jesus was. So we know how the disciples acted without faith. The question now becomes, how might they have acted if, we, if they did have faith? What would, if their faith had been strong, what would they do differently? Or what would they not do? Or put it another way, what if you were in the boat? Or what if I was in the boat? What would our mindset be if we were not afraid? First, I'm thinking that we would probably have let Jesus sleep. He was tired. He passed out even as a storm, some storm clouds formed. It's safe to say that he needed the rest. Not so that he could die right then. So it was safe to believe that everything would be okay. Now, I know this, we're just spitballing here, okay? So we're kind of daydreaming about what would it be like if we did have faith? What else? Maybe we would realize that on the boat with us is the master and creator of the universe. This includes the ocean, it includes the, the storm or the, the things that made up the storm, the earth. It also means he, he's in control of the boat. So the boat is not going to sink. And then at some point, one of us would have remembered or thought about what I mentioned earlier, which is storms pass over, right? So let's just hang on. It'll be okay. Now, as I do that little exercise, you may be thinking what I was thinking was, that sounds kind of easy. Monday morning quarterbacking is always easier. You know, Monday morning quarterbacking sports is, is, are the people that either used to play and can't play anymore or never played, criticizing and critiquing the people that did play. It's easy to sit here and say that the, the disciples should have done this or should have done that. And over the last few weeks, as I've prepared for this, I've tried to picture Jesus asking me personally, Billy, why are you so afraid? It's a piercing question that has a tendency to stop me in my tracks. Uh, And my answer has ended up having several parts to it, and I want to share these with you. Don't tell anybody, because this is personal. Um, First, I'm afraid when I feel alone and convinced of what the disciples were convinced of, and that is that Jesus is ultimately indifferent to my stuff. He really doesn't care about the details. I mean, I have a lot of need. I'm a needy person. And most of it, when I'm really honest with myself, is essentially an adult version of my childlike fears. I can dress it up and make it sound more relevant and more educated, and more mature, but it's, it's basically just a dress, dressed-up version of what I struggled with when I was in high school. At times, this makes me feel like a complete loser. I know this story that we're talking about today. This is not my first time reading this. 
I also know plenty of other places in Bible in the Bible where I am commanded to fear not, but I'm still afraid. And one reason is because I doubt my Heavenly Father really cares. Second, I'm afraid when I spend too much time thinking about this life in the here and now and thinking that this is all there is. Now, when I'm in this mindset, it takes one piece of bad news to send me spiraling. Just one. And third, I'm afraid when I think about how in the world am I ever going to finish well. And this one hits me hard. I desperately, desperately don't want the Ravi Zacharias story. And I know my wretched heart. Ultimately, our fear comes from an inward focus. These fears are about me focusing on me. And our fears come from a focus on us, on our stuff, our issues, our concern, and our very limited point of view. And as I grow in my relationship with Jesus, my focus gradually becomes more on the true gospel. Jesus' life, His death, His resurrection, His forgiveness, and His finishing in me what He started. Which means my faith gradually becomes stronger and stronger. Again, the importance of this true account in this passage is that faith is the answer to any fear. Faith in the goodness and care of God. Faith that God loves us and He has us on His mind. And this, this is good, good news. It's also clear that this account gives us another lesson. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. And that lesson is that even our failure, is a, our failure in faith is a doorway to greater faith. Our last verse in our passage, verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Here the word fear means a different kind of fear. It's awe, A-W-E. Very different than the cowardly fear that was mentioned earlier. Here it's a deep respect and reverence. And so out of the failure of their faith comes this deeper new experience. What's amazing here is that even though the disciples flunked their previous faith test, the groundwork was laid for a new expression of faith for the next test. And this is how God works in our lives. He tests our faith all the time in order that we can grow. And as our faith grows, we see that God is in complete and total control. And this lands on us as the sweetest news at the most needed times in our lives. But then, even then, if our faith is weak, if we fall, He still catches us before we completely collapse. He holds us up and sees us through, and in the process lays the foundation for new future growth. I'm reminded of a handful of verses that the Holy Spirit has used to keep me and and greatly encourage me over the the last number of years. I want to read some of them here. Ezekiel 36, 27, And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What God requires, He provides. Lamentations, a sad, sad book. Lamentations 5, 21 Cause us to return to Yourself, O Lord, and we will return. 
No other hope for our perseverance. Jeremiah 32.40 I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. Psalm 32.8 I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Somebody might need to hear that today. Deuteronomy 33.25 As your days, so shall your strength be. Dude, as I get older, <laughs> this has been like just the, I, such a seemingly insignificant verse has stopped me in my tracks. As your days, so shall your strength be. Psalm 1611, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So we take all of our stuff, all of our junk to Jesus. 1 Peter 5.7 says for you to cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And when we do this, Philippians 4.7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The bottom line is, this is His deal. Not yours and not mine. He will finish what He started. He will see us through because our times are in His hands. And guess what? Even our faith is in His hands. And He's continually continually having us board this boat, see the storm form in the distance while he takes a nap. Do we trust him to care for us, no matter what? Do we come to him in prayer asking for his guidance and his help and his assurance? Do we count on him alone to see us through? It is good to wrestle with this question from Jesus. And it is very sweet, very sweet to turn to Him for the answer and to experience Him providing everything we need to live lives filled with faith. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, our Savior, thank You for Your living and Your active Word. Thank You for Your tough questions and Your loving provision for the answers to Your tough questions. Continue to change us as a people and as a church. Cause us to love you more than life itself. We love you and thank you for loving us first. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Uh, have a great week. We'll take a short break, a minute or so, and then uh, we'll resume with the land conversation. Jesus, my restless heart finds rest in you. Oh, my restless heart finds rest in you. Come, thy fountains of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never. Call for songs of loudest praise. Yeah. Teach me some melodious song.
We're going to get started in one minute for anyone who would uh, like to remain about one minute. If you can find a spot at maybe one of the tables, uh, we'd love to share with you what God's doing. So one quick minute. everyone, if you could find a seat, we're going to go ahead and get started. (laughs) Billy told me, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or not, but Billy told me uh, before the service, he's like, I don't know if I'm going to have any words left. And so you still want me to talk? I said, yes. All right, well, welcome everyone. We wanted to invite you here today to uh, share with you an opportunity that we've been uh, given as a church and why we believe that this might be God's time uh, for us, for our congregation. Um, Just to put you at ease, I want to put you at ease. Uh, This opportunity is only for those who want to be involved, right? So if that's not you, please know like 100% uh, guilt-free, Uh, Thanks so much for staying and hearing a little bit more about it. But we uh, truly believe as a church, if this is from the Lord, if he has this uh, for us, he will provide. And so we are are trusting him. Uh, One of the things that uh, we really believe is that you are at Christ Point for a reason. Uh, There are a lot of churches around this area. Uh, When you drove here this morning, you probably saw a dozen of them. Uh, And yet many of you call Christ Point home. And so I wanted to actually uh, ask if we could pause on the front end and maybe just share with someone that you're sitting next to you, uh, why Christ Point? Why have you chosen uh, to make Christ Point your home um, other than uh, the basketball hoop and the pool table in the back? And so uh, you, can't, you can't share that. But take just a minute and share with those around you uh, why you have uh, chosen to call Christ Point home. And we'll be back in just one minute. To raise our voice, our Lord. Heaven and earth alike. We've seen your faithfulness, your mercy without end. A king who blessed. 
All right, everyone, thank you for taking a moment to share. We've actually asked Billy this morning if he would uh, share why you and your family call Christ Point home. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a question I've answered, uh, asked myself a lot. Why do we pass so many churches to go to a church that meets in a barn? Or before that, a school, or before that, the YMCA? Um, and it's two things. One is the, the gospel uh, being preached and proclaimed uh, start to finish. And, um, and it being more about Jesus increasing and not a specific personality increasing. That was significant for me and for our family. And then the other part was the authentic community, which is one of our, our core values um, where um, I get to know, have gotten to know people, James and, and the elders, but other people too at Christ Point, and so is our family that, um, that are dear friends. And that kind of authenticity is difficult to find. And so uh, one of the times when we first came to the church at the time, they, there was some guys talking and they said, um, uh, the, the family is only as strong as the fathers. And they, they talked about how if you have godly dads, if we, become, if we work on our hearts as dads, then, then our families will follow in a lot of ways. And... And that really resonated with me and, and was a real challenge. And so I knew I needed to be around people that, that saw the, the world that way. So. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that, Billy. I actually just asked Amelia, I don't know if you saw this or not, but she came up here a minute ago and I said, Amelia, why, why do you call Christ Point home? And she looked at me and said, you're the pastor, I have to come. And I said, that's, that's actually not the answer we're looking for, but thank you for sharing, sweetie. Um, no, she also said that she loved God and she loved Jesus and she loved uh, Christ Point Kids, uh, which was encouraging for me as a dad to hear. It's hard to believe, but 13 years ago, my family actually moved from Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, here to Charlotte. Uh, Melissa and I came. We had a two-year-old at the time and an infant uh, when, we, when we rolled up. And uh, over the last uh, 13 years, this place has become home uh, for us. Uh, God has stretched and challenged my faith here. Uh, he's grown faith, I know, in, in Melissa and our children. Uh, our boys have been baptized uh, in this place at, at Christ Point. And uh, over the last 13 years, uh, this place for, for me has really been a breath of fresh air. Uh, when Noah was being born, we were in the hospital in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and uh, the nurse uh, came and was talking to Melissa, and I noticed on uh, her, on her notes, on the back of her binder, she had a bumper sticker for a local church. And I asked her about it. I said, tell, you know, tell me about the, the bumper sticker. Tell me about the thing that you're plugging here. 
and because I thought this is a great chance to have a good, good conversation. And she stopped and she said, James, she said, I love uh, my local church. She said, we love it so much that sometimes when we leave for a vacation, we'll come home a day early just so we don't miss. And I remember when she said that, um, thinking to myself, not you need to take better vacations. Uh, I, I thought to myself, uh, I, want, I want to be part of a place like that, where just I, I long to be uh, with the people. When I think about why it is that uh, Christ Point is home and why I love Christ Point, um, in, in many ways it is because of you. It is because of the people, right? The, the, the people make uh, the church, the, the people of God. Uh, I think of the psalmist who uh, wrote, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, uh, in whom is all my delight. Uh, And so it's my great joy and privilege to be able to call this place a home for the last 13 years. Uh, You know, it's hard to believe, but uh, a couple uh, years ago, after we transitioned from the West Cabarrus Y to Cox Mill High School, um, even then, God was stirring in our hearts, the elders' hearts, a desire uh, to have a permanent home, to have a location that we could uh, permanently call home. Uh, when we came to Cox Mill after leaving the West Cabarrus Y, uh, God was stirring in our hearts something, in our hearts that desire, but we knew that it wasn't the right time. Right, even then, uh, I remember last March. Of, of 2020, getting the phone call after I left a half-day pastor's conference from uh, Seth Haynes and saying, uh, James, I have some good news and some bad news. Uh, what do you want to hear first? Uh, I don't remember how I answered that question, and I don't even remember what the good news was. I just, I just remember him saying, uh, we don't have a place to meet. We can't meet at Cox Mill anymore. Um, Last year, you may have heard, there was a global pandemic, and life as we knew it, as a people and as a church, changed. And yet, even after we left Cox Mill, we still had this growing desire in our hearts for a permanent location. And so we formed a a place and space committee uh, who looked for both temporary and permanent options for us. We as elders committed to pray for a long-term home. We Uh, connected with our prayer team and said, would you pray that God would provide a long-term home for us? Uh, And uh, God, in his kindness, provided a temporary place for us to meet. Uh, Brandon Lindsay said, hey, I know a guy. Brandon's the kind of guy that knows a guy. And uh, he knew Donnie Ayler. And Donnie was kind enough to uh, literally open the barn doors uh, to allow us uh, to meet here for this season. Uh, Even in coming here, while we were so grateful, we still had this desire for a permanent place. And so we continued to pray that God would uh, provide. We really believe that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the hills. And so we're like, hey, could we have one? Uh, And so we continued to pray toward that end. Uh, God in his providence um, stirred in the heart of Donnie's brother, Tommy, and uh, they approached us a number of months ago and uh, he said, hey, I have six and a half acres right off of Ridge Road, right over my right shoulder over there. And uh, Tommy said, I'd, I'd be willing to sell it, but I would love to sell it to a church. I would love for a church to have it. Um, not, not only did he have that desire, but he said he'd be willing to do it for below market value. And not only did he say he'd be willing to do it for below market value, but he said that he'd be willing to personally finance it 
um, so that we might uh, be able to do that. And so we couldn't help in our minds and in our hearts but to connect these dots and, and ask the Lord, hey, are you doing something here uh, in our midst? Are you providing an answer to that prayer that we have been praying for some time? Um, what I'd like to do now is to show you the land. And so I want to invite you, uh, if you would, to hop in your cars, uh, follow Phil. He's the guy with the pickup truck. Uh, he's going to take you over to the land. He's going to park just before we get to it. We're going to walk up this, this little hill. And I want you to look at the place that we believe God may be providing for us. Uh, if you are watching online, uh, for those who are watching virtually, uh, you are a part of our church family, and I'm so glad that you've chosen uh, to join us this morning. I want to let you know that uh, we're going to pause the camera just for about five minutes until we get over to the land, and we want to show it to you as well. Uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to come back here and talk about next steps. And so let's do that now. 